the aftermath of Biden's hellish speech, an updated booster, and ESG is failing. You're watching the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. It's just going to be me tonight. Cam had other obligations, as most people do on Friday evenings. There's a little bit of a scheduling uh, mishap, which was totally my fault. So we're going to be doing a bit of a live experiment tonight with me delivering the news, talking about the news with you guys alone. And I, I see that Cornelius Wolf shirt is here, says that I had my iron. I had to iron my wolf shirt, which I, I appreciate that. Yeah, You can only watch this show if you have a, a wolf shirt that's very well ironed. So I do appreciate that. So... I want to go ahead and dive in. Top story of the day is the aftermath of Biden's speech from hell, which I don't want to spend like a ton of time on this, but there were some notable reactions, which I think that a lot of this stuff is done by these politicians to not just gauge how the public reacts, but gauge how the media reacts. They also work with the media in a lot of ways. So the media kind of projects onto the public. And what we saw here is we saw Fox News talking in kind of similar tones of uh, that it was devilish and he looked like Satan, which he did. There's no doubt about it. And CNN kind of ignored the topic for the most part because they're trying to pretend to be something that they're really not. And the news organization that really leaned in to supporting Biden's speech was MSNBC. And Donnie Deutsch, Deutsch, he was on the show on MSNBC with Mika Brzezinski's wife, Joe Scarborough, and he kind of summed up, I think, the, the position of people who are in full support of Biden and probably what Biden and his handlers wanted to project. So I'm going to play you a clip of what Donnie Deutsch had to say about the speech last night. Here he is on MSNBC. Let's see if I can get that evened out there. It's bigger now. It's just me. There we go. All right. So I got that on double speed. I'm going to take that back a second. I listened to all this stuff on double speed because there's only so much time and there's just too much information that they try and overwhelm us with. So let me get that back to normal. Here is Donnie Deutsch responding to Joe Scarborough, who may or may not have murdered his intern in Florida years and years ago. I'm not saying he did. Just speculation is all that is. That's why Joe Biden's speech was so brilliant last night. And bravo to Joe Biden. I've been very, very... Just even three seconds in. That's why Joe Biden's speech was so brilliant last night. And bravo to Joe Biden. I mean, what a take to have immediately. And I got to say, he's one of the only ones that captured my attention because all the other takes were very similar. And, and, and the guy to come out of the gate saying bravo, like a standing ovation type of response here. I got to admit, if he's trying to capture people's attention, he got mine. Very critical that he... Lost, doesn't have the mojo, doesn't have the passion, is not hitting the nerve. And he nailed it last night. And he did something that, Joe, you've been asking or I've been asking for, which is brand the Republican Party overall. Make it a referendum on crazy, a referendum on semi-fascism, a referendum. On- Wait, so the, the comment there was, it's what you and I, Joe, have been trying to get him to do all along. Make it a referendum on crazy, a referendum on semi-fascism. That's a made up term. That's a brand new term. That was strategically chosen. They chose that. It wasn't a mishap, which is really weird. And he's like, well, we've been telling them to, to go semi-fascist. Call them the semi-fascists that they are. These, the, guy, the fact that they're claiming this, it's like they're trying to claim responsibility for what Biden did. It's just a strange thing. Although, when you think about it in the context of the audience that they're targeting, this is MSNBC, not exactly targeting the most... I critically thinking people, in my opinion. Let's see what the rest of what he has to say. On violence, a referendum on the Save end of democracy, which is brand the Republican Party overall. Make it a referendum on crazy, a referendum on semi-fascism, a referendum on violence, a referendum on the end of democracy, a referendum on on a woman's right to choose. All of these things, which which is extreme, which is very right wing, which is frightening. He did it. He branded the entire part, although he was very clever to say, look, it's not everybody, but yet make it a referendum on the extremism, on the semi-fascism. And that's what he did. And that's what he did so brilliantly. And they're showing the image, too. I mean, this is extraordinary. They're actually showing this image, for those just listening, of Biden with that red background. Look, you can't help but think of Hitler and think of hell. It's just very difficult not to think of those associations in mind. And they're showing that on MSNBC while at the same time saying, go Joe Biden. Great job. You finally showed them the Hitler hellish devil that you are. 
it, it, the celebration of that, and I, I do have some more comments on that. I want to let this clip play out, but that that's extraordinary. I mean, this is so crazy. It's so crazy. It's so crazy what's going on right now. It's unbelievable. Like, you think that you've seen everything when it comes to how bombastic and, and crazy propaganda could get until you see shit stuff, excuse me, stuff like this. Greatly. There was something in the visual last night also that that red, it was almost an ominous red in the background. I don't know what was intentional, what was not, but kind of the backdrop set the seriousness of it, the ominous of it. There was a certain tone there. But what he did last night in a very single minded way, finally, and I think there are people are finally they've all been waiting for it. Finally, he spoke the truth. Homer, probably there was a sigh of relief as you were watching it. Finally, set up the parameters. Don't hold anything back saying, you know what? This is now a referendum on extreme, crazy radicalism and the end of democracy. Set the stage that way. And to me, that trumps, no pun intended, inflation. It trumps anything else. And I think he nailed it. One of the things. <laughs> so Donnie Deutsch thinks that, that he completely nailed it which I, I, I beg to differ. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. But can you imagine being like celebrating this speech right now? Can you imagine breathing a sigh of relief? You see Biden come up on stage in front of that red background, which was so strategic. There's no doubt about it. I've heard people talking about that today in the news, but they're like, well, was that intentional or was that? No, of course it was intentional. If you've ever been on the set of any production, the, the visuals in the background are extraordinarily specific and detailed and intentional, and, and there's no doubt about it. Like, they, they did a run-through of this. They were rehearsing this stuff in the speeches he was giving in the, in the, the weeks and days le leading up to it. There's no doubt this was intentional. You see Biden come out in one of the most authoritarian, dictatorial imagery that you've seen in our lifetime, probably, and, and you go... Oh, I breathed a sigh of relief when he showed himself. It's, it's just an extraordinary position to take. And I, I don't know that most people believe that, but the, the setting, the imagery, it's just, they're testing the boundaries, it feels like. I feel like they're testing the boundaries of what people will accept. And you look on Twitter at the response to this, and you look in the media, like I said, CNN has been they have a, CNN's been talking about the affidavit and stuff. MSNBC is the one that's been focusing on supporting Biden and saying he made the right move here. And it's like, if you are a Democrat and you see this imagery of Biden, which is no doubt a, a, a significant statement is being made, and you say, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Then the, the next question is, how far does it go? So say he gave the same speech and he has the same background. And they bring him out like the meme we see on Twitter with a Hitler mustache. He, ha he literally has a Hitler mustache and maybe he is you know, hailing Hitler, highly Hitler, whatever, dur during the speech. At that point, do those people who are supporting the speech say, OK, that was too far? Or do they say, finally, they showed him what a real Hitler is? They showed Hitler, all those Hitler Nazis what Hitler will really do to them. Is that the point where they draw the line? Or, or he gives the same speech, he's got a Hitler mustache, and, and he's got the same background, and he literally says, in order to protect our democracy and protect our freedom and our liberties, we need to round up and we need to put all of the election deniers in, con not, not concentration camps, excuse me, in re-education camps. Is that the point where people who support this would draw the line? Or do they say, yes, finally, Finally, yes, good, good job for democracy, as, as he said. Go democracy at the end of his speech. Do they celebrate that or do they draw the line there? And that's the question is, where is the line? Because this is the shifting of the Overton window. If they can do stuff like they did last night, I mean, that was literally crazy. And I know everybody's talked about this today and last night. It was. It was just insane how obviously blatantly authoritarian and how much of a threatening type of speech that was, how far can they go with it? And they're constantly testing these boundaries. Edward Bernays talked about this all the time. You put stuff out there, you feel it out, and then you make adjustments based on the public reaction. What's the public reaction to this? Now, you look on Twitter, and what you see is you see... <laughs> it's so funny to me. Every time one of these kind of controversial stories happens, what you always see is 
is uh, Ukrainian flag account. So every account that's in support of it has a, a Ukrainian flag on it, like every single time, which, uh, you know, makes me think it's a bunch of bots. So I do wonder how many people actually did support that that speech or, or do think that it's okay to talk like that. But they see these other accounts. They see people like Donnie Deutsch if they watch MSNBC, and it makes them think it's okay to believe those certain things, which I, I think probably the majority of the country believes, believes them as well. I don't think that it's like a... A majority thing. I think they're just trying to project it too. So Sir Tim of Tunnels says, and I'm going to be going backwards through the comments here. He says, I'm sure the masks were getting uncomfortable. But yeah, I'm sure they were. They were getting, so they, right. They, they, they have to show their lizard. So instead of the mask, they got to put like uh, Ukrainian flags up there and sets and props. Yeah, totally. Vis- visual propaganda has such a rich history. If you want to, if you're interested in studying propaganda, you, you go back th- through like, Alexander the Great and other uh, Napoleon. So they put their faces on coins because they were trying to send a signal to those who they wanted to dominate. That was a, a propaganda campaign to show their power and their authority. I mean, it goes back to the beginning of time. It's just now we're all condensed and we have this communication apparatus that transmits information rapidly. I mean, inst- instantaneously around the world that, that they can really try and move the like like waves in an ocean just try try and move the mobs to, uh, at their will but yes visual propaganda is really powerful because it, it it's that's how we actually are language isn't what we were born with but the visual aspect and the way that we see and feel the environment around us is is what we see right when we come into the world and that is how they they, they use words, and they combine them with these visuals, and then they combine them with deeds and acts, a propaganda of the deed, like an action that speaks louder than words. You combine it with words, and that is how you truly impact the, the broad public that's, that you're trying to impact. This is what Edward Bernays talked about all the time. So there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about the fact that that was absolutely planned and, and, and staged the way they did all that lighting and stuff. Cornelius Wolfshirt said, I heard the finally rhetoric, rhetoric a lot like you know yes yeah finally finally he finally stood up to them and so if you're a democrat who believes what biden is saying and you believe that trumpian republicans are or maga republicans are in fact a threat to democracy then your response might actually be thank goodness he showed those devils the devil he can be so i i can actually see how they might respond that way there's like I think two people that I know that are progressives that I think would be into Biden's speech. I think all the other Democrats that I know would be against it. I haven't spoken to them personally yet, but I think they would be against it. But Biden did clarify for us what he meant by the, the threat to democracy. And here he is. Here's Biden talking about what the actual threat to democracy is with CNN. See, so this is about the extent of what CNN talked about today. So here's the clip of that. Let me get this other screen down here right yeah so cnn's trying to be more middle of the road because they're trying to pretend that they are unbiased which we all know it's a trick they're trying to win trust so that they can then lie to us here is the clip from cnn where they're talking about how biden he was asked a question about who the actual threat is here we go Chris Elizabeth, he was also asked today as he was again on double speed. I should change all my double speeds. That's funny. All right, here we go. On that distinction last night, saying that all Republicans are not MAGA Republicans, mm-hmm. as he's described it. Today, he was asked by a reporter if he considered all Trump supporters to be a threat to democracy. This is how he answered I don't consider any Trump supporter to be a threat to the country. I do think. Anyone who calls for the use of violence, fails to contempt violence when it's used, refuses to acknowledge when an election has been won, insists upon changing the way in which the rules you count votes. That is a threat to democracy. Chris, what'd you make of that? It seems to me a little bit of a dis- a threat to democracy. He's very articulate about those specific words. And he did that last night too. And he emphasized democracy at the end of his speech. And he emphasized democracy throughout the speech. And he even tweeted, I think after the speech, just democracy. What, what kind of mind control trick is this? They, they intentionally don't talk about the democratic republic idea that America was founded on, which is not democracy. 
democracy is mob rule because they they don't they want to confuse people they want to keep people in the dark about about the way that this stuff works because they want to use that populism so to speak they use it on all all sides it's just this man is not a good person he's just not a good person none of these people are like to not call this stuff out is you're not a good person to not point out the the negative impact and just the insidiousness of what's going on here i want to see what chris caliza has to say here i actually haven't heard this part but he he, he creates funny propaganda to me. Like, it's so ridiculous and it makes me laugh. So I want to see what he says. Distinction without a difference there. I, I think what he doesn't want to say, because he's Joe Biden at heart, right? This is a guy who did run as sort of the unifier, the guy who's going to bring the country back together. I think he doesn't want to say that any American is a threat to the country. At the same time, lots and lots of people who identify as Trump supporters have <laughs> said and have run on the idea that the 2020 election was not fairly conducted. So he's saying they're a threat to democracy if they believe that, but they're not a threat to the country. That's a hard distinction to draw. What I would say is the speech last night, Caitlin, was 68 days before the election, right? That's a political speech. I, I, I think it was done on purpose by Joe Biden and his aides to set a standard by which he was going to campaign on. I think the question he got today, a little bit more off the cuff, probably a little bit closer to the sort of who Joe <laughs> Biden inherently is, which is he doesn't want to vilify, but the nature of campaigns is to draw those distinctions. And my guess is you're going to hear more of the rhetoric we heard last night from both Biden as well as Democratic candidates between now and November 8th. Right. And, and that is exactly what I expect as well. That is the shifting of the Overton window right there. Uh, that That is where it's now OK to talk about your opponent. So we've heard commentators and whatnot and, and people campaigning that didn't win talk about how their opposition are, are fascists or Nazis. Both the right and left call their opposition fascist and Nazis historically. It's a it's a propaganda term that they label people with. But Never before in my experiences, and you know my experiences are very limited uh, in the history of the world, but has uh, uh, somebody with such an authority position as the president had such a speech like that where they defined who the enemy is, then – and that, that, that to me is what, what is scary about it is they're trying to convince their base – that this is okay, that this conversation is okay, that no longer, that this is mainstream. It's mainstream to call anybody who is a, quote, election denier a semi-fascist or a fascist and a domestic terrorist threat to the country. And that's what this is getting to. I mean, that's really what this is getting to. I think we all know that, is they want to classify anybody who questioned the election as a domestic terror threat, which is extraordinary because... Anybody who has followed the election challenges, and at this point, we're, we're it's almost getting to the point where it's going to be 2024 before we know it, and challenging the 2020 election is going to be moot, except for the fact where you're trying to highlight that there were problems with it. But there are legitimate issues, and I got kicked off of YouTube. I got a strike, and my video got taken down, and I'm not allowed to stream for saying the same thing I'm about to say now, which is true. I'm saying nothing that, like this is very, you can verify this in their media, in the left wing media. I don't want to say left wing, but the AJC, the Google News Initiative Controlled Media, that they found discrepancies in the vote count, I'm sure in a lot of places, but I know for a fact that they did in Georgia. And this was confirmed by both the left and the right. So both the left and the right confirmed discrepancies in the vote count. The left just said, oh, it was, in, you know, an idiot, and Brad Raffensperger fired them. The right took it to the extreme and said widespread voter fraud, which is not what you should. You should not draw those conclusions because drawing those conclusions is what gets you kicked off of certain things. And apparently pointing that out also gets you kicked off because that's what got, got me kicked off. But it was drawing the conclusions that the media uses to smear people who question the election when the reality is that discrepancies in the vote count have been discovered in a number of places. This is left and right. Both agree on this. They just disagree on the explanation. And when you talk about the legal challenges, they've all been thrown out. Most of them have been thrown out on process challenges. So a problem with the filing, a problem with the way they did. So not actually the content. So all of this is true and verifiable. But they sit here and tell you, that people who challenge the elections or are, quote, election deniers are a threat to democracy, 
That just tells you that anybody who questions what their institutions tell you is true is a, is a threat to democracy. I don't care what side you're on. This should really piss you off because this is authoritarianism. This is dictatorial type of language right here. You can't even question a pro- – so there's never been an election in the history of time that has been just pure 100%. Anybody who thinks that is a brain-dead idiot who, who needs like psychotherapy very badly because they're not thinking right. If you truly believe the 2016 election was stolen by Russia and Trump, yet the 2020 election was the most perfect ever, then you're brain dead. I, I don't, there's no other way to say it. You're brain dead. You're compartmentalized. The, the, the mind, mainstream media propaganda has scrambled your mind because that's an absurd proposition. All elections are going to have some problems with it. And when people who, whose job it is to, cha- to challenge these elections and look at what the problems are with them and try and find the discrepancies, do it. Then we should look to them. Garland Favrito of Voter GA. I was telling my friend this the other day, who is, he's a Democrat. And I hadn't seen him in a while. I talked about him the other day, a, a great friend of mine. And I told him, I said, the problem with all the stuff that's going on is that they try and sensationalize everything because they don't want people to look at the actual legitimate investigations going on. Garland Favrito of Voter GA, the first time I met him was when Monica and I were on WSB. And he was talking to us about voter integrity. This is before all of this. This is 2017, a special election between John Ossoff and Karen Handel. And he believed that John Ossoff, who is a Democrat, actually won the election. So he was there talking about the problems in the election that he thought swung it towards Karen Handel and that if it were a legitimate, clean election, that the Democrat John Ossoff would have won. That was my first experience with him. Now, He's doing the same thing he's been doing for 20, 25 years, investigating the elections, the problems that happen with it, and now you can't even talk about the findings that he has because the findings favor the Republicans, favor Trump. So it, it's unbel- So he's like considered, I'm sure, like a right-wing guy, which he's not. He's never been that. Like my first experience with him, he, he just wants to get to the truth. It's unbelievable that they can't even do that. And my friend, listen, and that's why I always promote the idea of talking to people in one-on-one circumstances is because people are far more you know, relatable and they'll listen and they'll have conversations with you in one-on-one. But when it comes to all this online stuff, it's just people get so mad. It's just, they get so consumed by the mob. You, you want to get the likes, you want to get the retweets on Twitter and people tweet ridiculous stuff. I, there, there's been so many people who've been tweeting out, I think, these scripts. Somebody, I think it was Whip, said something about the indivisible scripts coming out after this, after the Biden speech on, on Twitter. And I think, I haven't looked at them yet. I haven't, I haven't seen my indivisible emails, but there's definitely activist emails. There's definitely bots that are tweeting all this stuff. I've had a few come at me. Let's see what we got going on in, in the chats here. Sir Tim of Tunnels says that Biden stopped just short of declaring open season on his opposition. I think you're right. I, I, I mean, I don't even think he stopped short on it. I, I think he made the implication because the implication is that if these Republican election deniers, quote, unquote, win their secretary of state races, then all is lost. So, so that, to me, is a call for, for violence. What Biden did was, in my opinion, for the most radical element of those who don't recognize that this is just extreme rhetoric, that was a call to violence, what he did last night. It, it was so extraordinary, and I don't want to harp on it. it just, I was thinking about it last night and, and today, and I was like, man, that was just like some sci-fi stuff, like stuff you see on TV. That it, It's so hard to kind of get a bird's-eye view of this stuff when we're right in the middle of it. But you want to try and get that bird's eye view as much as possible. And I think if this had happened 50 years ago or something like that, and I was reading about it, my jaw would be on the floor because I'd be like, wow, how did he get away with something like that? I think he got away with it because they control the media apparatus. But there's other factors to it as well. But I just, it's unbelievable. I mean, they went full on authoritarian dictatorship type stuff last night. Like, I haven't seen anything like that in my lifetime. If I'm wrong, if you guys have, let me know. But I want to move on to the next story. Next story is in the wake of this satanic-looking speech that he gave last night, Biden has... (laughs) I mean, this is almost funny. He has tapped Clinton campaign manager John Podesta to implement his climate measures in the the Inflation Reduction Act. So Podesta is also going to be chairing Biden's climate task force so that's what he does he he gives he gives a speech where he might as well be holding the devil's pitchfork and then the next day he makes 
Podesta the head of this climate task force. Now, I'm not going to say, well, a lot of people think a lot of things about Podesta. It doesn't seem like a very good guy. There's a lot of allegations against uh, Podesta related to Pizzagate and whatnot. I don't know what the truth is of all that. I know that him and his brother are very creepy people. I know that. I know they have very creepy visuals inside of their house. They have very creepy statues inside their house. What was, uh, what was the, the thing where one of, what, one of them involved in like a, some blood ritual or something with like a spirit witch or some weird stuff like that. I need to fact check all of that. But there were some, all these associations are coming back to my mind that I need to go back and look into. All I know is that Podesta is a divisive figure who was a Hillary Clinton campaign manager at the same time that Hillary Clinton declared all of the Trump Republicans and MAGA Republicans as alt-right and deplorables in her speech. And then the day after Biden calls that same group of people a domestic threat to this country, he brings this guy on in his administration. But the interesting thing about this is that he was already advising the administration through his think tank. I think it's the New America Project. And it says this in the article that he was already a silent advisor to Biden's climate policy through his think tank. So he just made it official. So if you don't think the think tanks have influence, they absolutely do. This guy was a silent influencer before. All right, so we have... Yeah, you leave Chester's dad alone. Right. That's what Sir Tim O'Donnell says. Yeah, I, I should not say anything about these, these perverts who Biden is filling his White House with. It's almost like they're, they're just coming out. It's almost like the Satanists and the devils are having a coming out party where they're like, we're finally public and we're finally acceptable. This is what they talk about a lot in the propaganda about communists. And I say that knowing that this type of propaganda strategy is used by people on the right, people on the left, by everyone. But what I read it is I read it in a Rand Corporation diagnosis of how the communists, the Bolsheviks, were trying to use the – they called it the organizational weapon. I talk about this book a lot. It's from like the 19, 1952 or something like that. And they talk about the cons- conspiratorial ways of gaining power and then the legitimate ways of gaining power. Now, the cons- conspiratorial ways of gaining power is when you come out or, or you do things that are illegal – and you radical, you get people that are obviously radicalized to come help you do illegal stuff. Now, the right way to do it, or not the right way, within the co-opting is you pretend to be something else. Is you pretend to be a Democrat and you co-opt a party. You pretend to be whatever. They hated Democrats. Communists hate Democrats because they think that they're they're weak. They're, they have the same target audience. They think that they're weak. And what, what they, the reason they went and did this strategy, I think it was a United Front strategy, was because they used to just go to people with their straight-up communist appeals in their communist red, and they found that people were uh, apprehensive about that, and they would kind of back away from it. It made them – they didn't want to get involved in something so radical. So they decided we need to come at them a little bit of an indirect, softer way. And that's what I feel like is happening here because what they talk about w- with Lenin and this communist propaganda is once you can get the public through this indirect methods to go along with what you're doing, you can then come back out with your communist red colors, the ones that you hid before when it was too radical. But once it becomes – this is Overton window shifting. Once it becomes acceptable, you can then come out and celebrate again, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing here with these people. They did all these indirect methods to – change policies and, and whatnot, and they use different language. And now I just feel like they're just like, we're, we're open communist world revolutionaries following the Klaus Schwab great reset plan. And it's like they're doing it shamelessly to see how far they can go and to see how much of the public will just buy into it based on their hate of Trump. How far can you go? Like how, how much they are using so much of what they gain politically based on how, how much people hate Trump. Isn't that crazy? So, so they hate Trump so much and they portray Trump in a certain way that people are willing to go along with something that re- really they might never, ever even consider, but they're blinded by their hate. Now, that, again, I'm not a Trump supporter. I don't know. Trump could very well be part of this whole WWE show that we know. I, I, I really don't know. But it is extraordinary. I have friends of mine who've been radicalized. Like, I, they've really been radicalized, like a couple of them. And they say the craziest stuff, but they only do it on social media. I have, they, they stay on social media. They tweet crazy things. They troll people. I, I've seen one of my friends literally repeat an indivisible script that I've, been, I've gotten an email about what they should say. He just copied it, tweeted it at me, and, and told me that he one time told me I was a white nationalist on LinkedIn. Just, I hadn't talked to the guy in like a couple of years. And I had a comment on LinkedIn that said I was a white nationalist from this guy. 
And it was all based on this propaganda, this indivisible script set, because these people, these small group of people, are mind controlled. That, to me, is what is scary. I don't think the majority of the public believes this stuff, but I do think that there are a very small percentage of people, like a couple people that I know, who buy into it wholly. I don't know if something's missing in their life, but those are the ones who are actually a true threat, honestly. Is those are the ones who are going to do something, and that's what they want to trigger with us. They want to trigger somebody to do something on the right or who supports Trump, and that's why I, I don't think it. I don't think people want to do that. I don't think it's a good idea to do that. They want, even if you feel angry and you're mad, I think not responding to these provocations is the best way. I really do because they 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 want so badly to justify what they're doing. They want to justify the FBI's. Uh, increased invasive measures of searching on social media, people who are flagged as a threat because they showed up at the Capitol, they drove across the Capitol two days before January 6th. They are looking for a reason to justify the, the fabrication that they've created. And I, I don't think people need to give it to them. I, I, know, I know you might want to. I know you might be angry. But that's what they want. They're trying to trigger that anger. They're absolutely trying to trigger it. You can't give in to that. It, it, it's... It's angering, man. It really, it, it's crazy. So 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, this type of propaganda would spread around the world a lot slower. It wouldn't hit us as quickly. But now they can just do it instantaneously. It's nuts, man, where the world is going. So I'm going to move on to the next story, which is uh, almost as infuriating. I do have a story that's good to end the show with later on. And that is that the updated booster shot is coming. And it will be a game changer, according to the AJC. So... The head of the CDC recently held a press conference where she admitted that they had made mistakes during the pandemic and announced a wide-ranging reform at the agency, with the emphasis being on that things happen faster without having to to wait for peer reviews and other vetting practices that get in the way of just telling the public what they need to bow down and do. And in the spirit of that, there was an expert committee that advises the CDC. They voted yesterday to recommend redesigned COVID-19 boosters that target the specific variants uh, of the original virus and the vote, which was 13 to 1 in favor of the, both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. And the CDC director, she said that she expects that they will quickly endorse the recommendation and that the reformulated vaccines will be available for millions, for people as young as 12, within days. Which... <laughs> The article says this, too. It says the speed of development of these tweaked vaccines is due to a strategy that skips common steps in testing process. Is that what we need? Is that what people need? They, they, they need? So we have a vaccine that's already not done what they promised it would do. It's already caused, for some people, it's caused a lot of problems with it. Really, it has. It's caused some people to have reactions where they've died. And yet now we're doing even less vetting of this vaccine. And that's something to celebrate. CDC is reformed. They don't even look at whether or not the vaccine's been, you know, can do anything. Because this is the first, they say this in the article too. It's crazy. They, like, they boast about this in the article that this is the first vaccine that has ever been released without doing any human testing whatsoever. First one, fist bump. What a great, finally, they didn't have to test it on you. They are testing it on humans. That's the thing. They are. They're testing it on you and me and people that we know that get that vaccine. And in fact, the first vaccine or set of vaccines. They didn't test on the most vulnerable, most vulnerable group anyway. They did not allow people who were like over 65, who had problems with their immune system, respiratory problems. They were not allowed in the initial vaccine testing. I read the Pfizer papers. They did not let them in because of the risk to them. Yet, who was the first group of people that they rolled it out to? The very group that they did not allow to be tested on because of the risk. And now they're doing this. Why even test it on animals? Who cares? Don't even test it. Just just jab it in us. We'll find out what happens, and, and we'll see what goes along. And, and a couple of interesting things about, about this vaccine that stuck out to me is that these, quote, redesigned boosters, they, they're only for people who have already had the primary vaccines using the original vaccines, which I, I thought about this when this whole thing started. Is there, they're trying to change people. Like at a fundamental level, like the transhumanist idea of what's going on. It's like they're trying to really change people. So they need to see how people react to the initial vaccine. They've weeded out the, the amount of the public who reacted, who responded 
poorly to it, died, maybe had adverse reactions. And now they have this group of people where, okay, here's our new test subjects. Now, how do these people who made it through the first round, how do they react to the new vaccine? I think they're testing all of this stuff because they want to apply it to themselves in the future for some sort of uh, eternal life longevity vaccine. I, I don't know what's going on here, but, it, but it's crazy. It's nuts. I, I haven't gotten any vaccine, and I, I'm glad that I did. Now, I was tempted, man. I was tempted with all the pressure that was going on, but I, I didn't do it. But I know people that have, and I know people, me personally, and other people I know who, who were affected badly by it. And they are rolling this out without even bringing up the fact that they have shifted the goalpost completely on how this is supposed to impact people. Here's Dr. Fauci, which everybody loves Dr. Fauci. Everybody loves hearing from Dr. Fauci, I know. I'm going to play for you Dr. Fauci talking about the release of this new vaccine. Here we go. Fauci's such a Fauci's such an upstanding guy, and he's just type of guy you'd really like to have uh, walk you down the aisle at your at your wedding, speak at your funeral. Just a fantastic guy. Here he is. All right, Dr. Fauci. Here we go. Well, as you just said correctly, that for the Pfizer booster, it's twelve and older, and for the Moderna uh, boost, it's going to be eighteen and older. Uh, it is a booster or it's actually an updated vaccine is what it is. And by updated, we mean it's matched to the very predominant and prevailing circulating BA4-5, particularly the BA5 variant, which right now, as we know, is out there in a very predominant way, more than 90 percent. And we're still getting about four to five hundred deaths per day. So we really feel it's important to get this updated matched booster or matched new vaccine to individuals, particularly those, as was mentioned in the authorization by the FDA and the recommendation by the CDC, that if you were, in fact, got a boost two months ago, then you're eligible to be getting it now. And if you've been infected about three months ago, you're eligible in getting this updated vaccine now. So there's folks out there, essentially, Dr. Fauci, that that are saying, OK, well, I've been infected. Right. A lot of everybody I know has essentially had the Omicron variant at this point. It raged through New York City, specifically here um, and asking, well, why do I need this booster? Right. If this booster is for the, the Omicron variant, if I've already been infected um, with Omicron and I was and I was vaccinated way back when. Well, because the immunity wanes. Is that the question you ask? Seriously, w- with all the controversies going on with, with Fauci. So I don't know who this woman is who who is interviewing him here. I'm sure she's gotten her orders, but I don't know if she thinks of herself as a journalist. Maybe she does, or maybe she just maybe she tells her husband, "Look, my job is to read the script they give me, and to if I veer from that, then I don't get paid. I don't get raises." Maybe maybe that is how she sees her job as just pure propaganda mouthpiece. I, I hope she doesn't think of herself as a journalist because any journalist might say, "But what about the fact that?" None of the vaccines that you told us about in the beginning, none of them have done what you promised that they would do. None of, not, none of them have. And you have consistently shifted the goalpost on what we should expect from these vaccines. Can you address that? Because if people realize, if people recognize that nothing that you've told us before about vaccines has been true, then why should we right now take this new vaccine on the backs of one that already hasn't worked like you said it would? That, like, a real journalist would ask a question like that. I'm assuming, I, I, I can't tell. I, I honestly cannot tell. I told you the other day, my friend had never heard of the Jeffrey Tubin story, which blew my mind a little bit. There's quite the possibility that this woman here has never heard of any of the problems that have gone on with the vaccine or any of the lies that Fauci has been exposed to telling, that he's admitted to telling, and he said he told because, well, we need to do it for your own good because we need to, we need to make sure you take the vaccine because when you take the vaccine, we, 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 uh, it's just public health, uh, and we just need to make sure. And, and yeah, we, we weren't exactly right, and we're we going to change it, but the science changes. We were told the science was settled. My guess is this woman, this woman doesn't seem like she's in on it to me personally. I think that she's just clueless. That's my opinion. And we have ample evidence to show that with coronaviruses in general, and certainly we've experienced it with the SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID-19, that in fact, when you get infected and or vaccinated, although you get a degree of protection for a period of time, that protection wanes. I'm actually myself in that category. 
I have been boosted. I've been vaccinated, doubly boosted and infected. <laughs> and I can tell you for sure that I'm going to get. He's been, I've been vaccinated, doubly boosted and infected. I can promise you I'm going to get this vaccine, too. Because, you know, because of all the other doubly boosted vaccinations that happened to me. It's you need to get it to get the shot. Get the shot. We'll give you a prostitute. This updated vaccine of the BA45 matched variant within three months of my getting infected. And for me, that's going to be three months from the time by the end of June when I was infected. I feel strongly that that's something that we need to do to maintain the protection of the individual and the American public. And we ultimately would like to do, and I think it would be an important strategy since for most of the people, not everyone, because there are immunocompromised who might need it more often, that we want to get into the cadence and the rhythm of about once per year, get an annual shot similar somewhat to what we do with the flu shot. Never thought I'd say this, um, sir, but you and I are in the same category when it comes to uh, COVID vaccines and infections. I've had the same number as well. Look at him laughing. Um, I, I'm going to take that back. Look at, look at him like bouncing up and down like he's on a pogo stick when he laughs at that little, little effing what we do with the flu shot. Minion devil. Never thought I'd say this, um, sir, but you and I are in the same category when it comes to uh, COVID vaccines and infections. I've had the same number as well. Um, but I guess it's good company to be in, um, to say the least. Um, are, are boosters coming for younger kids under the age of 12 and then under the age of five um, as well, these updated boosters? Are they coming for younger they kids? They will be. You know, the FDA working with be. the companies have made it clear that this is something that we'll see in the reasonable future to get the people who are younger than the age limits right now to be able to get them within a reasonable period of time. Yeah. So <laughs> every year, dude, every year we got to get that, that vaccine. It, so it's not, it's not been proven to work at all. It's experimental technology, the, the, the MRNA technology, but we need to go, we need to go ahead and do it every year. And I'm, I'm bouncing on a bouncy ball right now. And I'm very excited that you, this young woman who's young journalist, who's in the same boat as me, maybe we could go get a couple vaccine later and I could give you the jab, if you know what I mean. This is just, obviously MSNBC is not a serious organization, but there's people who, who watch it, who, who believe that they're a serious organization. And that's, that's what the problem was. Hopefully their ratings are very low, but man, oh man. So He's going to be out in December, Fauci is. I, I would assume that he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. That he's going to go out. Why not? Why not just start pitching vaccines for vaccinate your dog, your cat, vaccinate your 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 babies. You're in the womb. Vaccinate them. Vaccinate the the aborted fetuses. Vaccinate everything that you can, because that is what we need to get protection and to flatten the curve here. What? what I have to say that I kind of just. It's it's impressive how uh, unaffected he is by his lies and, and by how his lies have been exposed. It, and really, I think that's what it takes to be in politics, honestly. I think that you have to be someone who just... So Alan Iverson, to, to veer off for a second, uh, he has like a, a quote. Alan Iverson, if you're a basketball fan, is one of the best basketball players you're ever going to see. He, he's short. He's like 5'11". Uh, but the guy is, is super quick. You never seen by a dribble like him. Unbelievable basketball players, especially because of how short he is. And he said something once that was like, "You just have, every time you miss a shot, you have to forget. You have to forget that you missed it. And you have to act like you've made every shot you've ever taken. You have to have that level of confidence and audacity every time you shoot. So, so nothing ever, because if you dwell on all the, the messages you have, then you're going to be in your head. So he had this level of confidence where, in his mind, he never missed a shot. And that's how he played. And that's how Fauci plays in the media. As though everything he's ever said has been right. And we all know that it hasn't. But he's unaffected by the fact that it hasn't, because he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It's not part of this. His moral conscience is not about... I manipulated people and lied to them. I, I used to use AIDS fear squads, which Dr. Drew said he was a part of uh, back in the 80s to try and scare people into doing, doing stuff for AIDS, taking medication for AIDS. He doesn't care about that. His job is not to be truthful. His job is to get people to take action, the action that the government that he works for tells him to get people to take. So that is what he bases his, his analysis and his prescriptions on. So... Dr. Fauci is unbelievable, man. Uh, yeah, law. Yeah, Corey G in the chat says law. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like Stacey Abrams. Law of mercy. 
And then Stacey Abrams does a sermon about how white people, uh, how God says to speak out against white people. Otherwise, uh, um, you're going to burn in hell, which not to veer off. I actually heard her mother give a sermon on a rare Christian website that was that theme the entire time. Kind of unbelievable. But back to what we were talking about here. So we have we have that there. I want to tell you a couple things that aren't just terrible before, <laughs> before I go to the DMBXR because I feel like those things are... I don't know. I don't think a lot of people buy into the Fauci stuff, but some do. And I know friends of mine who did before that don't anymore, but it, it makes me sad that there's some people who still buy into this stuff. It really does. I, even if it's a small percentage of the population, these people are lying to people. They're li- I, I never got into analyzing propaganda because I, I had a political agenda. I never cared. I never cared, ever. I did not care. But all, I was just pissed off because I, it was so obvious that people were being lied to. And they were being convinced that they couldn't succeed in life by these lies that were all an illusion. And it pissed me off. And that's why I really got into it, to analyzing it and going through the history of it. Because I'm like, look, it's all a lie. Yes, you're more capable than they tell you that you are. This is all BS. And this kind of stuff is just, they have the communications apparatus. We all watched on YouTube. We all watched on wherever. I am very glad there are other channels that have arisen. Rumble, you know, say what you will about it, but at least it's an alternative. And I know they have controlled opposition in ways, but it is good that we have alternatives that are rising up against us. I'm not the biggest fan uh, of, of Ben Shapiro and all that and everything that, you know, his positions anyway, but he's got basically a streaming service. The Daily Wire has basically a streaming service. And in my opinion, it's inspirational because I, I, I don't think the movies are very good. Yet they have a large audience and they're winning. They're getting numbers. And we have, what's the guy on Fox, Greg Gutfield, who again beat out Colbert for the late night ratings. I, I, don't, I don't like his show. It's, it's hard for me to watch. But you know what? It's still competition to, to what's his name? It's a statement, honestly, that people are so ready just for anything but the, the Demo- I don't even want to say Democrat because it's, I feel like when I say Democrat that I'm demonizing people who don't believe some of these things. So globalist type of agenda that is being pushed through Colbert and Kimmel and all these other late night shows. People have a hunger for something different, and Gutfield beating those guys out shows that because it ain't like that's like the great, the greatest show that's ever been. But it's different, and it, and it reflects an opinion that many people hold. They're tired of everything. So in closing, I want to talk. I want to show you something from I think probably most of us like this guy. It is Ron Paul. I want to talk about ESG, and ESG is failing. It's absolutely failing. Let me find where I am in my notes here. So there's a lot of a lot, lot of uprising against ESG in states across the country. And Ron Paul has a guest on where he kind of sums up how people are revolting against the whole social credit scoring system that ESG is, the Great Reset ESG standards that they're trying to implement across the, the world to control society. So here's Ron Paul and his guest talking about ESG. Uh, a lot of people, especially around me, have noticed uh, you know, there's ver- something very strange about corporations all falling over each other, whatever, uh, you know, about the whatever the latest thing happens to be. I mean, you can't even go down the street and get people to agree with one another on something, yet these big corporations just parrot the same exact line. And a lot of times it hurts their business. You know, there's now a saying, go woke, go broke. I mean, why would you purposefully hurt your business? There has to be some kind of common glue in the background that is making something like this happen because it's just not normal. And that common glue is money. You know, these big, huge corporations have the same big investors. And you mentioned $10 trillion, and that's BlackRock. And then you have Vanguard. And these investors have this crazy ideology, and they use money as a leverage. Uh, So they're pushing this ideological agenda and their leverage is money. And we're finally starting to see some big pushback from states. One Dr. Paul lives in Texas, Florida, West Virginia. You know, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida said that corporate power has increasingly been utilized, key word, you know, they're being used, corporations, to impose an ideological agenda on the American people. And these states have had enough. They said, you know what, we're not going to allow the government funds to uh, be used in this way anymore. And this is all very, very good. Uh, This could be a big domino uh, to fall 
against this nonsense. Yes, and, and to, to make your point about seeing more information about this, I'm not going to read all these titles, but I think I have about five or six titles sort of addressing this. Like, DeSantis eliminates ESG from state pension investment. That's a big deal. And they say, well, should, should they get to be political and tell them what they can invest in? Uh, really not. And that's why, that's why these people should be getting away with it. But they should be, uh, you know, doing this. It's government money. And if they're investing to benefit this social reforms and this cultural Marxism, yes, a governor or whoever is, uh, you know, able to, they should step in and get these directions. But so they're, they're current clamping on. They're sort of canceling some of these companies. I get, they don't use the word canceling, but I call it canceling because that's what they've been doing to some of the good people. If you didn't do what they, well, one, they intimidate you, they cancel you in, in a cultural sense and they kick you off all the, all the opportunities that you have. Uh, okay, so they're, they're, they're exactly right. This is all very good that they there are people and states rising up against all this. And Ron Paul, I, I, I'm a big Ron Paul fan. I remember watching some of his, his speeches you know, back in 2012, and they, they would always demonize him in the media. They would lure him on to do interviews, and then they would ask him absurd questions. They would never ask him about legitimate stuff he was talking about. He was attacked by the media. There's no doubt about it. And he he's absolutely right here. Now, you, uh, Ron Paul had a stroke, I think, maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit less than a year ago. And he's not as uh, sharp as he was, but he's still delivering his message. And he's doing it very well. It's impressive. It's tough for people to come back after a stroke. It, it is. It's difficult for him. We see the guy running, is it Pennsylvania, running against Dr. Oz, where... It, he doesn't debate Dr. Oz because they, you've seen the video clips, I'm sure, where he has some cognitive issues. And it's very clear that he does. Now, that doesn't mean that he is not going to be able to recover. Some people do recover well from a stroke. But it is interesting that literally a guy who, who recently had a stroke, I mean, the guy recently in Pennsylvania had a stroke, and he's like beating Dr. Oz. And they keep him out of the debates because they don't. That's a controllable person. Like That's why I think Biden, one of the reasons Biden's so controllable, I think he's had some issues definitely, and he can be controlled. They fill him up with drugs. He goes out and he gives these devilish speeches. But uh, Ron Paul doesn't have that same type of establishment backing that he does. He, he's just doing his thing. The man is in his 80s, and he's still out there trying to put the truth out there despite everything that has happened to him. And, and I, I admire that. And they're absolutely right that this ESG stuff is being fought back against. And what he was referring to was some of these, I'm going to tell you some of these efforts going on. So ESG, I've talked about ESG a lot. It's this World Economic Forum global effort is like a social credit-like score that they use to control corporations and then filter to their, to their employees and then filter to the public at broad to change the, the culture and the norms of society through the corporations and these ESG standards. And people just aren't having it. And so here's some of the other efforts going on here. In Texas, they are – let me find my notes here. Okay, so – the state of Texas has banned BlackRock, UBS, and other ESG investing. So BlackRock is the biggest ESG investor on the planet. They've invested trillions into ESG. It says Texas Republican comptroller Glenn Hager, it's an interesting name, he released a list of 10 companies and 348 investment funds that will be barred from doing business with the state because they boycott energy companies. On the list, banned, uh, banned companies are BlackRock and UBS. And they're doing this as a way to fight back against ESG investing. And it says ESG companies pressure, shame, and essentially boycott non-ESG companies, which is absolutely true, so that they're giving the ESG investors a taste of their own medicine. And that's what they're trying to do. And I, I think that that's a good idea. He has said uh, Compter, uh, is that his name again? Texas guy, the yeah, Compter controller, Glenn Hager, interesting name again says the environmental, social, and corporate governance movement has produced an opaque and perverse system in which financial companies no longer make decisions in the best interest of their shareholders or their clients, but instead use their financial clout to push a social and political agenda shrouded in secrecy. And he's exactly right. 100%. They talked about this at the World Economic Forum ESG panels that they had. And this is how they're defining boycott. So... Per the statute, it says boycotting energy companies means that without an ordinary business purpose, refusing to deal with terminating business activities with or otherwise taking any action that is intended to penalize, inflict, 
economic harm on or limit commercial relations with a company because the company engages in the exploration, production, utilization, transportation, sale, or manufacturing of fossil fossil fuel energy and does not commit or pledge to meet environmental standards. Basically, they're saying, look, you're trying to shame and put all these companies in a corner that continue to promote fossil fuels and don't fall in line with your climate agenda. So you're not allowed to do that anymore. And Texas is not the only state that is taking an initiative like that. West Virginia, last month, they barred five major financial firms, including BlackRock and J.P. Morgan, from new state business after concluding that they were boycotting the fossil fuel industry for the sake of climate change. And on top of that, there's a conservative group that targets woke capitalism has launched a multi-million dollar campaign against BlackRock and BlackRock's CEO for weaponizing retirement funds with its push for ESG investments. And I want to show you that ad real quick and share that with you. Yeah, so ESG is bad news. It's totally, it's like the the episode of, what is that show? Where they had the uh, the social credit score episode with a woman, she can't do any. Every time she does something wrong, her social credit score lowers, and she can't do certain things. Black Mirror is what it is. It is a lot like that. The way that they're trying to push this stuff on on society, and I'm I'm glad that people are pushing back against it. Here is the actual commercial. Here, where is it? Oh, all right, BlackRock. Here we go. All right, so this is the commercial against BlackRock. Who helped cause soaring gas prices? Who helped cause soaring gas prices? BlackRock. Who contributed to outrageous housing prices? BlackRock. BlackRock and Larry Fink spent years harassing oil and gas companies, making them divest from fossil fuels. Now you feel the pain. And BlackRock-owned companies are snatching up houses, crippling families. Now BlackRock's former ESG czar Brian Deese is Biden's economic advisor crushing America from within. That's what BlackRock is really about. <laughs> They're not wrong. BlackRock literally has trillions of dollars invested in this around the world. They're the biggest ESG funder. Have any of you ever heard planet. of the firm BlackRock? Well, well it's one of the well, world's largest investment say. firms. Sorry, my, my, uh, Who helped my cause video and kind of continue there. I did like this imagery here. For those who are just listening, there's an image in the middle of this ad that has a guy, it seems like an obvious stock photo image, who's just pointing at a paper that his wife is just distraught about. Like, what's going on here, BlackRock? It's a funny image to me. Okay, so my point is people are fighting back against this stuff, and people need to fight back against it. But we also have to always be worried about, I don't know if you've seen the the movie with, um, what is that movie called? I just completely lost my train of thought about who was in that movie. It was Jennifer, not Jennifer Garner. It was the younger Jennifer, and she, my goodness, I have no idea which movie I'm referring to. I'll have to come back to that tomorrow or next week to figure out exactly who it is I was referring to. But there's a there's a movie where the revolution happens, and they take down the main guy, and then the revolutionary realizes that the person who led their sect of the revolution was actually just as bad as the main guy, and they took that one down as well. And so we always have to be cautious of that, but I am glad that people are fighting against BlackRock. We have Ben Hammer here says that most people own shares in, in BlackRock, and they don't even know it. Right, because they don't know it. They don't because they they do it through their their state and they have no idea that's going on. That's why they're fighting against a lot a lot of this stuff. And Sir Tim of Tunnel says interesting side point: a black mirror is when occultists is what occultists use to try and see the future. They're trying to project the future for sure. There's no doubt about it. And that the episode was nosedive. Yeah, nosedive on Black Mirror. Watch that. That's what they're trying to do with ESG. Except they're trying to do it at the corporation level and trying to trip you know make it trickle down into the individual level and in closing today you know, what we're going to talk about in uh dmbxr is i'm gonna i'm gonna read to you some passages from saul Linsky where he talks about going to prison and the benefits of going to prison for revolutionaries and we'll see if it relates to maybe relates to anything that's going on right now a lot of interesting stuff because we see his tactics in play all the time and i found some of these passages very interesting so i'm going to go through some of that and i'm also going to go through some acceptable halloween costumes for the woke culture 
and your HR firm, if you if you work for a company, I found it interesting to see what they deemed acceptable and non acceptable. So we will talk about that in the DMBXR. I appreciate all you guys listening and all the chats here. I, I didn't get to as many of the chats as I would have liked to. Um, as I said, this was an experiment uh, of me doing the live. I've not done the live stream show like this by myself yet. So this was an experiment. I appreciate all the help in the chats and everybody who's listening. And we will continue this conversation in the DMBXR. And for those just watching, I don't have any music teed up, so we're just going to go into it. I'm going to have to put that music up in the uh, post-edit for just the audio. But we will talk to you guys next time. You can find the Propaganda Report Strive Time News Blast on whatever podcasting platform that you listen to your podcast on. Have a fantastic rest of your day.